Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups, Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. First, we're going to have our joke. Thank you. Uh, this comes from AA Conference Approved Literature and apparently was said to be one of Bill W.'s favorites. A man is living alone on a desert island. And finally, a ship comes to rescue him. The captain notices a lot of buildings around the island, so the loner takes him on a tour. After walking a while, they come to a building with a sign out front that says AA. Yes, indeed, I'm a member, the loner says pr proudly. A little, later, a little later on, they walk past another building, and this one has the same AA sign. The ship's captain is curious and asks for the reason. The loner shrugs and says, oh, that's the meeting I won't go to. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Mark. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. Please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that may make noise or distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everybody's ready, we're going to play the meditation music. I'll see you in two minutes.
All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm going to lead the meeting with the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, it's up on the projector screen. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Mike to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Here's Mike. I'm Mike, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. The terms of spirits and uh, spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bringing about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yes, it is true. Our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not on our intentions to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded, such, concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist Will James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions of our members to find, they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own concepts, conceptions of power greater than themselves. Yes. Most of us think this awareness of power is greater ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There's a principle which is a bar against all information which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in, in everlasting ignorance that principle is con contempt prior to investigation thank you Mike during the meeting please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down this is a tech free meeting so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off Tonight we have Joe. I believe it's his second to last session. We're going to be off next week. He'll be returning for one more. Uh, the great thing about Joe in this whole series, and really always, um, 
he's going to speak the truth, you know, and we're chatting for the meeting. Sometimes the truth is offensive to some people, but it's better than sugarcoating it, and, and we need to hear the truth, you know, because the, the lie is what kills us. So I'm going to give you Joe on his 11th session. Here's Joe. Yep. Hello, everybody. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Joe. And uh, somebody left a $100 bill up here, so I just wanted to let you know. So uh, it's great to be here. It's an honor to be here, privilege. Um, so to all those uh, that are in Zoom land, um, it's great to be with you tonight. And it's great to be with a few that traveled here tonight. So see a lot of familiar faces. And uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about this thing that uh, Bill Wilson called a design that really works, right? He, he, uh, he mentions that a few places in the book. And, and you know, I, I didn't really understand what it meant. And listen, um, the truth was really difficult for me to hear when I got here. Uh, it was... Uh, it was forcing me to look at things that I really didn't want to look at. And uh, because I had lived in delusion, you know, Bill, he talks about it in the book that we have, we suffer from a hundred forms of fear. And I, you know, that still astonishes me that, that we suffer from a hundred forms of fear. And, uh, you know, a wise gentleman that was my sponsor for most of my sobriety and his past now, he, uh, he said that fear can be categorized into two different categories. And we're either, he said, we're either in fear that we're going to lose something that we have or we're fearful that we're not going to get something we want. And that, I mean, that opens the, that opens a door, right? That opens that door to a hundred forms of different fear. Uh, fear that I'm not going to be liked by you. Fear that I'm not going to be admired. Fear that I'm not going to be given credit for things that I want credit for. Fear that I'm not going to be applauded. Fear that I'm not going to be popular. Fear that I'm not going to be respected. And on and on and on. That's just the personal domain of fear, right? Not to mention the material domain, financial domain, sexual domain, relationship domain. All the areas of life where I stand in fear quite often, 95% of the time, that I'm not going to get something from you that I want or that I'm going to lose something to you that I already have. And it puts me in this constant state of conflict. So, you know, having, knowing that, and, and you know, when Bill, when Bill talks about the four-step and he gives us that, uh, that diagram, that um, example of the first three columns in the four-step inventory, when we get there, you know, he identifies the first three columns that we look at. And, you know, he goes into, of course, the first, the first column is who am I resentful at? The middle, the second column is what do they do to threaten me or hurt me, right? And uh, the third column is kind of like a, an overall column that has sub-columns, right? And it dissects our instincts of character and our, our, our desires, our appetites into several different areas, our personal security, our emotional security, our sexual security, our financial security, our ambitions. 
And, you know, when, when I started looking at those things, I, you know, to me, those were the things that drove me. Those were the things that I was always constantly looking to satisfy in myself that I thought would make me happy and make me successful. And the only way that I could get those things was through you, right? And because I was so (sighs) unsure of what it meant to be Joe Bear, I mean, I didn't have any idea. I, I was that guy that always thought that I had to perform in a certain way with you in relationship from the very beginning, um, in order to receive those things that would give me confidence and would give me comfortability and would give me security and, and give me those things that you needed to give me in order for me to feel okay. And um, so I was always vying for something. I always had a motive for something. So in that pursuit, I, I became the actor that they talk about in here, and, and Bill describes it. He goes into, he, he references it quite a few times, actually. He references it as we, you know, we, 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 take, we go into this uh, area in how it works where we're going to um, really come to a declaration in our life that we're going to put God in charge of our life, right? When we're going to do this third step decision, he's, he's painting that whole picture, and uh, the picture is, is that, you know, I have, I have come to a place like we all do when we get here, so broken and living in such darkness and unsure of who I am or what I stand for or what boundaries that I have, right? It's kind of like I'm this loose, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm wavering in the ocean with no destination with no definitive uh, uh, plan of where I'm going, and I'm just aimlessly floating out there, and it just—it's a terrible feeling. Um. So, so when I get here, I, I need, I need to have somebody tell me what to do. I mean, hopefully everybody gets to that place when they. When they get to the end, right? When they get to the end before the, the, you know, the darkest place before the dawn, before we finally have somebody come into our life that, you know, it, it says it in the book that we, we you know, we, 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 we see the shore, you know, and we, we cross the bridge of reason, but we just couldn't quite step ashore. We couldn't quite step ashore. There were friends and with outreached hands waving us on and cheering us on. Hey, come on in like they do in the fellowship of AA, like we do. You know, come and join us. We've got a way out. But we just couldn't step ashore because we had been leaning on our own thinking, leaning on our reason too heavily that last half mile, right? And um, it's, it's terrifying. I don't know if it, if it was for you, but it was for me. Um, the uncertainty was maddening to me. It was terrifying to put my trust in another human being that they could take me someplace that I'd never been before. All the while, trusting myself to take myself there. Now listen, I knew I had evidence. John, John you know, he was a guy that pointed it out to me. He says, you've got, you've got evidence of, you know, just exactly what you've been able to accomplish in life. In the realm of recovery. 
in the realm of intimate, authentic, powerful relationships, intimacy and authenticity, honor and integrity. Those were foreign words to me. They were completely foreign to me. I had no idea what the benefit of being any of those was because I was never any of those. Right? So I had to trust somebody that was telling me the truth. You know, I had to literally jump out on those skinny branches, as John always called it, and take a risk. And it really came down to what did I have to lose? What, what, what did I have to lose? How well is what I've been doing working out? I've been so addicted and so entrenched to my way of thinking and interpretation and perception of it all. I had come to the place where I wanted to take my life. That's how well it was working. But I couldn't connect those dots. I couldn't connect what I was doing and how I was living and thinking and perceiving and interpreting life and running my life. I couldn't connect the dots of the evidence that was in my wake. I always had a fall too. I always had a default. It was always, if it was negative and it was bad, it was your fault. It was never my fault. So I never had to take accountability for my thinking. Until you get to the end. Until you get to the end where you, you, you know, God gives you that. And I believe it was all God, God uh, endowed to me. It was revealed to me. You know, that one moment of clarity before I actually did the final act. That it was me that was authoring. Me, I was creating that, that wake of havoc. I had gotten me there. Nobody else put me there. And it was crushing. But I didn't know how to get out of it. I used to come in and out of AA all the time in that detox, retox mode. No change in between. No recovery in between. No program in between. No design implementation in between. I came in sick and I left sick. I would come into AA and go into a halfway house or, you know, a detox or a treatment center with an alcoholic mind and leave with an alcoholic mind. I would come in with untreated alcoholism and I would leave with untreated alcoholism. When I speak to even a, a small group like this, I, I don't speak to those that have been around a long time. I'm not speaking to the choir. I'm speaking to the individual that's broken in a million pieces if there is one in here. And been that same place I do. I'm not here to get the well well. I'm not well myself. I'm still broken. Except for the grace and mercy of a loving God. Right? But I know how to get myself out of this jam. Albert Einstein said, you know, something very profound amongst many, many things. And so did Carl Jung. But Albert Einstein, you know, I didn't know much about this guy, but I knew he was brilliant. Because everybody said he was brilliant. I had no reason to doubt he wasn't brilliant. And John simply pointed out one of his famous quotes. He said, a mind can't solve the same problem. A problem cannot be solved. A problem. And I was full of problems. I was a problem. A problem cannot be solved by the same mind that created the problem. 
So when it said there's a solution in here, automatically, I wanted to fall back on what I thought was the solution. And I failed every time. You know, I always wanted to insert myself into the solution and contaminate it and screw it up. All it takes is me to screw it up. That's why they make that, that actor, uh, when Bill talks about the actor and how it works, he's, he's literally foretelling us after I, you know, make the decision to have God be my director and have that, you know, where he's going to govern my life instead of me, where I really mean it, he's foretelling us on the next page and a half, the only thing that can make me fail. And it's me. I'm the one that can lead me back down into darkness because that's the only place I've ever found myself. I've had glimpses of success. I've made a lot of money. But I believe liberation of the heart is the main success we're after. Freedom. (laughs) Freedom from bondage. Freedom from getting out of that self-imposed prison cell that I lived in in my mind. So he says there's some promises that go along. And I know we're talking about step, we're going to be talking about step 11 for the majority of this meeting and the end of 10. But he gives us this, he gives us a promise. Bill gives us a promise and he always gives us a condition after the promise. Right? So I'm just going to see if I can go through my book here and talk about a few. Dr. Silkworth gave us one right up, right up front. You know, he, Silkworth in his opinion, the doctor's a medical opinion from a doctor that treated over 40,000 alcoholics, so he had a good experience of us. Said this, says, uh, for all the emotional appeal seldom suffices. Those are those pleading, he's referencing those pleading and begging moments from the loved ones of our from our loved ones that have very little substance involved, but they're just begging us to do something about our problem. Kind of sounds like, please, you're killing me. Please, you're killing the children. Please, you're ruining our lives. You're destroying everything. Right? But it really doesn't have the substance to tell us how not to. It's all they got. It says, Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. The depth and weight is simply to have walked in our shoes and to know the problem and to have found the solution where they can convey that to us, where it lands in our heart, where it resonates and it impacts us where we go, this is a person that knows what they're talking about because he knows where I've been or she knows where I've been. And listen to what he says after that. In nearly all cases, a little disclaimer word there, right? So, you know, people don't want to label, you know, they don't want to put a totality of things on it. So he said, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves. if they are to recreate their life. Not if I can just get my job back. Not if I can just get my family back. Not if I can just get my wife back. 
Not if I can just put a little weight on my shoulder, you know, on my, uh, on my body, get a little job, get a little money in my pocket, get a car. No. He's talking about recreation. Caterpillar to the butterfly, I like to say. Right? Transformation. Profound alteration. Spiritual experience. Spiritual awakening. Entire psychic change. Whatever you want to call it. They're all synonymous. Right? If they are to recreate their lives. So we're getting the table set in, the, in Roman numerals. Right? Now, if you work this program, we're going to talk about what we talk about in just a little bit. You'll, exactly, you'll know exactly what that means. But if you, if you skip it, you'll never know what it means. There's a lot of times I heard this stuff. It didn't make any sense to me. Like, wah, wah, wah. Right? So he's saying, in nearly all cases... They're ideals. He's not saying ideas. Ideas and ideals are completely different things. Right? Ideals are concepts, principles that are in their most excellent form. Right? We are in a program where we hope to implement spiritual principles. That's where the transformation takes place. We go from selfish and self-centered individuals, completely self-absorbed, only worried about our world, not really, kind of like in a, in a uh, psychopathic way. We go through this and we continue to harm and we continue to hurt, but we have no resolve. We have no, we have no contrition. We just keep going and going and going. We say we're not going to do it again, Please forgive me. Please trust me. Please let me back in the house. Please do this for me. Right? We're begging our loved ones to please help me one more time after we've destroyed them countless times before that. For me, it was I was just a habitual liar when I got here. I couldn't tell the truth. I was terrified to have to tell the truth. That would ensure I never got any more help from you. Right? It would ensure it. So, what is he saying here? Well, honesty in its most excellent form as an ideal would be honesty in its most excellent form and not lying or not being dishonest or not embellishing the truth or telling half-truths which are whole lies. That would be an ideal that would have to be grounded in a power greater than myself because the only one that was grounded in me was dishonesty when I got here. I'd become entrenched in it, right? That was the design I was living by. Another ideal, you know, keeping my word. When I got here, I didn't have a word. I didn't, nobody trusted what I said. Nobody would rely on me or count on me or even ask me to do stuff because they knew I was a no-show. I was a no-call and a no-show, right? Because if it was, if it was anything that where I wasn't getting a payoff or a, re- or a reward, what, what's the point? That, that's the way I looked at life. 
So um, I didn't have, oh, I had trust issues all right. Everybody I knew didn't trust me. That was, those were my issues. <laughs> so what would trust be in its most excellent form? What would be keeping my word in its most excellent form as an ideal that I implement into my life? Keeping my word. Knowing people can count on me, no matter what. Knowing people can count on me being truthful with them, no matter what. Where it's, it's not even questioned anymore. They know if they're coming into the airport at 3 o'clock in the morning, they ask me to pick them up, they know I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'm not going to say, I'll try. You know that's like, right? I was full of I tried. I was full of I'll try. That was just, try was just another word for not doing something. I mean, think about it. You ask somebody to pick you up at 3 o'clock in the morning from the airport, and they say, I'll try. Well, God, I don't worry about it. And we call somebody else, don't we? Okay. So I could not be counted on. The reason I tell you these things is because if I start to implement honesty in my life and become truthful, then the, then the selfish and self-centered principle of dishonesty and lying becomes non-existent. They can't coexist. Do you understand? They can't. If I start keeping my word, then people will start to trust me. Right? I'll have integrity. A no-show and a no-call and a selfish and self-individual doesn't do those things. So Bill's talking about this design, and that's how we do this. When we work the step, they lead us in with the easiest one of all. Right? Step one. Admitted I was powerless over alcohol, couldn't... My life had become unmanageable. My thinking had become unmanageable. It's not real hard to be truthful about not being able to stay... St- I mean, the two components, physical, is that I couldn't stop when I started. That's not hard to say, yeah, that was me, right? And it wasn't difficult to say that I couldn't stop starting because that was me. So if I can at least be honest with that, that's going to lead to honesty in other areas. Follow me? At least that's what my experience was. It started out with something I couldn't deny, I couldn't avoid. I couldn't lie about that any longer because the evidence just came right back on me. I was, you know, and listen, there's no way to go to step two. If I can't be honest about step one, what am I going to need a spiritual solution for? Why would I even consider that if I can't in my skin say, I couldn't stop when I started or at best moderate when I ingested it, And I couldn't stop starting. That was my story. That's what that 16 years of devastation and homelessness did to me. You can't, how do you lie about that after a while? And I knew that no human power could keep me stopped. See, recovery is all about staying stopped. Being a recovered alcoholic is being able to stay stopped. Because the whole conversation has changed. 
the change has happened. Where when I get tempted, I recoil from a hot flame because my mind says, immediately recalls what it did to me rather than what it did for me. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. That's quite a psychic change for this alcoholic, right? So it says here, you know, these ideals must be grounded in a power greater than, than myself because I, they're not grounded in a human power. I couldn't overcome me. I couldn't provide that for me. I couldn't make myself trustworthy because I was always breaking my word. I couldn't tell the truth because I was a habitual liar, right? So, um... And Bill's story, listen, it talks about the progression. Um, I love, uh, you know, when we get to uh, knowing that no human power has been able to keep me stopped, kind of leads into where Bill was by being being able to come to that point where he could be willing, at least willing to believe what Ebby was telling him. Believe in this power. Believe that a power could restore him to sanity. Didn't that ask us that? And we agnostic says, are you, are you, are you, do you now believe or are you at least willing to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity? Well, I know no human power could keep me stopped, right? The insanity they're talking about is knowing I have this allergy, which says when I put it in, I can't stop. And I know I have this mental obsession that when I am stopped, I can't stop starting because of the lie I tell myself, right? So Bill said this, it says, it says, and Abby says, he says, he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. Wasn't that where we all get to? You know, how well was my life working out for me? How well were my relationships? Bill says he was shocked but interested. Certainly he was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. Isn't that it? We get here and we are hopeless. We perceive that we're hopeless. But we're not. We're not hopeless. In and of myself, in and of the place that I had driven myself to, I was hopeless because I couldn't rely on me anymore for any thought of a solution. I kept running into the wall, right? On uh, page 15 in Bill's story, you know, I don't think anybody's got their book, but that's okay. It's, I'll, I'll read it to you. It said, so it says, uh, it is designed for living that works in the rough going. So what they're saying is that this, this book has now, either it's going to be my new playbook or I'm going to continue to operate by the old playbook, Right. So, it says this. It says, if you are seriously as alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. Either that's your story or it's not. Most of us didn't get here dropped off in a limousine from a penthouse on, the a, on A1A, 
You know what I mean? It says, uh, and if we were, if we had passed into the region from which there is no known, if there was no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, step one. And the other was to accept spiritual help, step two. Step one is just a description of a state that we're in when we get here, that we're powerless over alcohol, couldn't manage our own lives. And then in the, at the end of it, there's a solution that says, further on, clear-cut directions are given, showing how we recovered. Right? Each individual in their, personal, in their personal stories describes in his own language and is from his own point of view the way he established a relationship with God. It tells us all through this book where we're going. Vertical. Right? A lot of people have a problem with that. A lot of people have to drink that problem out of themselves. You know, that's just the truth of it. Right? Now, there may be other programs out there. I haven't found any where you don't have to go vertical. They don't talk about God. So be it. Maybe that's the one for the person that has an issue with God. But no human power has been able to relieve us of our alcoholism. And if you're a real alcoholic, that's your story too. It's mine. Right? That's why I came into AA. I didn't have a way out. So this is what it says. It says, Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is a principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. You know, I was that guy that was walking around being the God of my own, my own life, right? And I didn't have a whole lot to show for it. And the only reason having to turn my will and my life over to the care of God was a bitter taste in my mouth because I didn't want to lose that control. Right? And I was going to be right about it until the day I died. God's a bitter pill in the mouth if, you're too, if, if we're all busy playing God. It was for me. Right? Kind of made me turn away. Turn away in my really dark life. So then we go through the third step. So, you know, the, 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 the thing it says here, and, and it gets to, uh, uh, you know, those three pertinent ideas. A, that we're alcoholic, couldn't manage our own life. B, that we're a, no human power could have relieved our alcoholism and see that God could and would if he were sought. It also says that he will come to all who earnestly seek. 
I didn't have the earnest down, and I didn't have the sincerity down. I wasn't sincere, and I wasn't earnest. I was giving lip service, which is why I floundered for 16 years, right there on that street called Broward Boulevard. That's where my home was. College educated from a good family. I was that guy that you saw driving down Broward Boulevard with his head down, couldn't look up, walking around with a public bag with all my earthly belongings, aimlessly wandering nowhere. I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to live in a very dark place. I know what it's like to not have anybody that I could possibly call on. Dying. I'm that, I was that guy. But how dark it is before the dawn. And I had that angel walk into my life just like all of us. There's angels everywhere. Right time. Teacher was there when I was ready. And I was ready when the teacher appeared. It's either that or I'm taking myself out because death became more attractive for me than living. You know, I just, uh, that self-imposed prison cell. So I said, what do I got to lose here? You know, what do I got to lose? It was what I knew about everything that was killing me. It was what I didn't know. It was going to save my life, and that's what he told me. He said, the greatest obstacle for you, Job, moving forward to learning anything is that which you already know. And listen, the truth hurts. It crushes my ego. But I know that, that, that in, the, in the end, before I had moved back over here or come back over here, was able to get back over here from... Clearwater. I'll never forget it. I remember that prayer. I remember that, that sincere and earnest prayer it came from the depths of my soul. God, please help me or take me out. Please help me or take me out. You see, when I believe that when we get to that final place where it's just, where the, the flicker inside is just about to go out, that all the ego has gone, all the pride and all the arrogance has gone, all the self-righteousness, all those filters that used to say, eh, were non-existent. And only until those filters were gone could God hear my prayer unfiltered from my heart, from the depths of my soul. And that was a while ago. That was a good while ago. And I know today, prayer works the same way. You know, it's always like I always say, it's like, <laughs> everybody wants a miracle. I wanted a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody just wanted, nobody, I heard it said nobody wants to be in a position to have to have one. Because that's excruciating, right? This is what was read to me when I got here. It says, your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. It's going to cost you your relationships and friends. It's going to cost you being liked and understood. But it doesn't matter because the people who are meant for you are going to meet you on the other side. And you are going to build a new comfort zone 
around the things that actually move you forward. And instead of liked, you're going to be loved. Instead of understood, you're going to be seen. All you're going to lose is what was built for a person you no longer are. So let it go, Joe. It was never between you and them anyway. It's always been about you and God. And it's like the last one, the last place to look at that darkest moment. The only place I had to look was up. And it wasn't long after I found that up was all I ever needed in the first place. This program is amazing. It is a pure miracle, divinely given through Bill, written by Bill, divinely inspired for those that God has called. Many are called, but few choose. Few choose. They're dying left and right, right in front of us, all around. There were people, I did a series here, I don't know, years ago. I'll bet you many of those people are dead now. Why have we been spared? Hmm. I like to say it's because of the message, right? Because, you know, and we agnostics, he says, God is either going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. What's another way of saying that? The, cur- the, the program, the 12 steps are going to be everything or they're going to be nothing? Because they both lead to the same result, relationship. Amazing, right? So he's come to all who have earnestly sought. And only, I believe that, 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 that it's when the heart aches and the soul aches so desperately enough that we begin to move forward instead of backward. Right? I wanted to die when I got here. I hated my guts when I got here. I hated my, I felt filthy inside. Right? Little did I know that I was going to be able to go through a program where that guy was going to be able to die in a different manner. So as we go through this program, we start to implement these spiritual principles, the honesty, the hope, the faith, the courage, perseverance, brotherly love, integrity, willingness, you name it. As we implement those, as we work through this process, we become men and women that hold those ideals to be the the main core of who we are. And because they don't coexist with anything else, because they're that, because we've implemented in, implemented them into our heart, the selfish and self-centered, the self-absorbed individual dies. Our whole perception changes. Our, you know, I used to, the thing that I noticed most is that the, cha- the, the, the chase to have my instinctual needs satisfied and oversatisfied, Right? Where I needed more money. I needed more people to pay attention to me. I needed to be respected. I needed to be popular. I needed to have, you know, all the women. And I needed to have all the stuff. And I needed to, you know, because it defined me. I thought it defined everybody. I, I kind of thought everybody lived like that, right? The more you had, the better, the, man, you got it going on. I mean, you know what I mean? Bill thought about it when he made financial heroes' uh, idols. 
right? I was entrenched in them. I couldn't, and I had to do whatever it took to get them satisfied and oversatisfied. But when, when I started doing this, things started to change. My appetite started to just change. I started to experience freedom. I started to experience these benefits of the principles that we implement because you're not going to really get the benefit until you exercise. I mean, I, I didn't start feeling accountable and start it until I started being accountable. I didn't know what it felt like until I did it for a little while and it started to feel good. It started to feel good that I was responding. It started to feel good I was telling the truth. I didn't have to look over my shoulder that somebody was going to find out the lie. It was amazing. And I liked, for the first time in my life, there were things that I started liking about being this new guy where I could let the old guy go away. Right? So that when I showed up to make my amends, the thing that I wanted so desperately was just the benefit or the reward for being forgiven. What, what would that feel like? Because... Listen, I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't have forgiven me. People started forgiving me after I started making amends from the heart. From this guy that was changing. They could see that. They knew the conversation was different. They knew the demeanor was different when I showed up. They knew the expressions were so drastically different from the individual that was gaming them and taking from them for so long. They knew like that story I read last week. You know, I knew him in appearance, but there all resemblance ended. And the majority of times that you just, God, just keep doing what you're doing. They'd look at each other and go, who is this? That felt, that built my heart, that built my heart. Right? And I didn't need the forgiveness right then. Boy, I sure developed a whole new support group from the very people that put me as an outcast. I started getting love for the craziest places. And in 10, all it's asking us to do is to continue to take inventory on my daily pursuit of life. To make the decision, step three, in the morning... To turn my thoughts and my life, my actions over to care of my God because I really love this relationship that was developing with him. Where I was starting to receive internal insight and wisdom from a source I had never gotten it from before. I felt God's power. I felt his protection. I felt his movement and his nearness. I felt it. Anybody that has done this knows exactly what I'm saying. It's not just a concept or a theory. It is real. To where all of a sudden God is my go-to and you're not. But what you're hoping, what I'm hoping to, to give is the same person I'm hoping to be for him. To you. Imagine that. Does it happen all the time? Hell no. <laughs> Heck no. Sorry, Mark. 
Continue to watch for selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. When these crop up, I, talk, I, I ask God at once to remove them. Four, six, and seven. I talk to somebody about it. Five. Right? I make amends where necessary. And this is, you know, with, with, with this, being this guy, perhaps when we talk about that third step prayer, Take away my difficulties for that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. What is it saying? How, how can I help somebody of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life by having my difficulties removed? Well, the difficulties that we're identifying in that third step prayer is not a, a low bank account or a lack of a car or a lack of a girlfriend or lack of a, you know, whatever. The difficulties you're talking about are my defects of character, my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my deceitfulness, my manipulation, my lying, right? My lust, my greed, my sloth, my gluttony, the whole nine, right? If I am in active, actively living on a daily basis and perhaps operating void of those things, let that, let that in of itself bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. I'm not in this game for my glory. I was trying to be. I'm in it for his glory. So that the people I make amends to go, oh my God, even the atheists go, you're a miracle. <laughs> they can't deny. I'm not out for slap on the back anymore. I'm not out for anybody to say, oh my God, what a message that's so awesome. No. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. Because that's what I pursued. They promised me that, and that's what's happening in my life. Not about me anymore. God is going to be everything, or He's going to be nothing. If he's going to be nothing, it's all about me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I can go from being a giver to a taker in a nanosecond. I can be selfish or God-centered, but there's no in-between. You're either getting me for me, or you're getting me trying to be the best representative I can for him. That's what this deal is. So when we get to Growing in effectiveness and understanding. What does that mean? It's not to see how good I can gain you or get what I want from you. Or get what I want out of this life all for me. No. Am I, being, am I growing in effectiveness for him? And understanding that in and of itself. That this is for him. So that when I'm carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm representing him. It's not about me. I don't want applause. I don't want acknowledgement. I don't want to be thought of as a, a good speaker. I just want to represent. I'm just a tool, man. I'm a servant. 
And I hate being me for me. It really grinds me to, to reflect and go, God, you were selfish yesterday. God, you were arrogant yesterday. God, you were all about you yesterday. That's darkness for me, and it's an immediate disconnect from him. And I go from freedom to bondage in a minute. How free do you want to be, my sponsor says, Pat. How free do you want to be, Joe? How free do you want to be? How much do you want to be without burdened? I want to be free, man. Most of us have lived in bondage for so long. I like being free. I don't like looking over my shoulder. I don't like thinking about the amends I'm going to have to make today for yesterday. I don't like waking up with emotional hangovers, the excesses of yesterday's negative emotion. Who wants to be, who wants to feel that muckety muck? Nobody. Because the only thing that that can lead to is restlessness, irritability, and discontentedness. And I remember what it says clearly. We all do. Unless I can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes in a split second by taking a drink. Wow. So we have this step 10 to keep us in freedom. To not fill the garbage can up that we just emptied in step five. Right? And then it says we grow in effectiveness and understanding. That means I get to grow and continue to nurture this relationship. But I can't do it from a selfish state. It means it's going to take some work. I've got to participate in this relationship. Right? He doesn't render us white as snow. How do I stay on the spiritual being that they talk about? I continue to watch for selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. When they crop up, I ask God at once to remove them. I talk to somebody about it, and I make amends where necessary. That's how I stay free. And that's how I stay in the best position to help anybody with anything. Right? You know, it talks about what we do when we go to bed at night. I think he, goes, I think he does that. He starts out with what we do in the evening. <laughs> we take inventory. Right? We take a review. We talk to somebody about it. We make amends before we go to sleep if possible. Nobody wants to go to sleep on that stuff. It's not a good idea. And I believe he talks about what we do before we retire at night so that when we wake up, we're not waking up with muckety muck. Right? We go through the plans of the day. When agitated, you know, it's like when we go through our day, we pause. I don't know about you guys, but I always forget to breathe. It's just a God-given blessing that I'm able to do that without having to think about it. But I, sometimes I forget about deep breathing and calming myself. Right? There's, a, there's no better way to restrain from, offense, from offending somebody, at least I've found, than to pause and breathe. Oh, God, what would you have me do? He gives us the right answer. We know the right answer. We all know the right answer, right? 
Boy, I tell you what, that ego will come back in a split second, won't it? I don't need to do it right now. I don't want to take, I want to save face. I don't want to, you know what I mean? I don't want to admit I'm wrong. Well, that's a dangerous trap. If there is a God, there's an enemy. And if there's anybody going to cheer me on about not doing something right, it's that. For me. I believe that this, 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 this darkness, this, this dark source of power would love me dead. But it'll settle for me being incredibly miserable because to, for me to be miserable is for me to drink. And for me to drink is for me to die. So I've incorporated reading spiritual literature. I go to church. I have a God that adores me. And I think it's important for me to give him some of my vital time. Why? Because I feel good when I do. I feel connected when I do. I feel good when I'm around connected people. Right? I really do. And I know those connected people. You can see the light. It's easy to see. People that live in the light. They're always living easier, freer, more connected, more giving, more kind, more patient, more loving. You just see it. They don't have to act it. It's a connection. It resonates. Right? Effectiveness and understanding. So that when we go to those new people that are dying like we were in an AA meeting, we bring that. We carry that. So next week we're going to talk about how it works. What is it? It's that, right? What is the message? It's this, right? We want to lift people up. We want to say, go down. we want to go down to that dark cave where they're living and say, man, take my hand. I know the way out of this thing. I've been where you're at. You take my hand, I'm going to lead you out of this cave. And I'm going to lead you into the light. So you never have to go back to that agony and that struggle. This is not a temporary thing. This is a permanent thing. So next week we'll, we'll go ahead and really talk about carrying this message in many different ways. Not next week. Sorry, the week after. So I won't see you all on the 22nd. So if you celebrate Christmas, I want you to have the most blessed Christmas you could possibly have with your family. If you've just got done celebrating Hanukkah, fabulous. If you're not celebrating it, get together with friends in AA. And celebrate each other, okay? God bless. Thank you, Joe. Can you guys all help me give Joe another round of applause, please? At this point of the meeting, we uh, introduce our secretary, who is Joe M. He's going to come up here and give you his report. Thank you, sir. Hello, everyone. I am your alcoholic secretary. My name is Joe. Or Joey, whatever. 
Joe. Anyway. Um, in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, we have some people passing the baskets around. Also, we have a little QR code. If you all would like to contribute, don't have cash, just scan it, Venmo it, forget about it. It's easy. Technology. Um, as the baskets are going around, I've asked a beautiful child of God named Zach to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this to explain why many people in this group may identify as recovered rather than recovering. may be complicated, but uh, luckily Zach's going to come up and explain it. Please welcome him. Thank you. My name is Zach. I'm a recovered alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up ever some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. All right. So um, at this time, is there anyone here that would need a sponsor? All right. That's okay. Any um, recovered alcoholics out there? Beautiful. Sorry, I have a sneeze coming on. All right. I think we're good. Sorry. Um... Uh, announcements. All right. We have Intergroup is where you can buy a related literature, medallions, also responsible for creating our where and when, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. BCIC is responsible for bringing meetings and people where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly at the 12-step house. Any BCIC folks in here? No. That's okay. Stop by the 12-step house. Tremendous organization. I know they could use some people now. Wednesday night study group. Um, Joe Bear will be there. It's tremendous. Um, over in Pompano. Paulette coming from the beautiful Miramar. Um, she's great. I'm, I haven't, I'm yet to see her, so I'm excited for her to start the year off. Um, yeah. Monday nights, third floor of this building, we do have a big book study, 7.15, come early, there'll be cookies, it's a good time, we'll yuck it up, and then we'll dive into the book, we're going through family afterwards, it's some pretty intriguing stuff that you don't really see at many meetings, so we get deep and into it, so to speak. All right, um, yeah, that's it uh, for the announcements. Um, sorry, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, we do have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back if you all need. Beautifully displayed. 
We do meet every Thursday promptly at 7.15. Tomorrow or next week, we're not doing a meeting. Enjoy Christmas with the family or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or other holidays, whatever you'd like. Um, also, sorry, before I end this, eight, eight chairs high, if you all can help. Um, that would be tremendous. Thank you so much at the end. But again, we start at 7.15. Come early as always for fellowship the week after. Um, and be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Thank you, Joe. Friendly reminder, we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Once again, um, I would like to invite everyone to our Monday night Big Book study on the third floor of this building. Big Book comes alive. Those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, which is Joe, you can line up down the center aisle and give him a thanks. Again, uh, we could use some assistance after this meeting if anyone wants to stay around and help stack the chairs and set the tables up. Please, we'll uh, close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Give us not the temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, power, and all the glory.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Green now, growing vines. 
friends. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
tape. Got one man that just won't say. 